welcome to episode 12 of The Courageous Mama. I'm your host, Madeline Stanameros. I've got a great conversation for you to listen to today. I've listened to it a number of times myself as I've edited it and prepared it, and I pick up a new nugget every time. And I'm excited by the possibilities my guest will inspire. Before we get stuck in, I just want to acknowledge an issue that's going on in our world. I'm not a political podcaster and I don't have an agenda, but I am conscious that when we're growing families and establishing a family culture, sometimes things come along and spark a conversation. And those things can make us stop and think, how am I going to let this influence the way I'm raising my family? There are opportunities to educate ourselves in order to influence our children for a better world. Last Tuesday, over 90% of the Instagrammers I follow put up a black square. So I'm surmising from that that this racial conversation is important to you. And the question I was asking myself last week, and I'm sure I'm not alone, was if I'm putting a black square up in public, what am I doing in private? If I want to stand with people of all races and want a new way forward, what does that look like? So I've taken my lead from your squares. Many of them said, simply, I'm listening. So that's what we can do, can't we? We can listen and learn and influence our families. So I'm going to pop some ideas in the show notes of things that we can watch, listen to and read so that we can grow. And please do let me know if you've got something to add to that list. We can all learn from each other at this time. Speaking of learning and growing, I want to introduce my guest this week, Julia Black. She's a pioneer in the world of education. She and her team help parents to empower their children to be highly motivated, self-directed, switched-on learners. She reaches out to teachers and parents to help children who've become disenchanted with the learning process. And sometimes those signs aren't all that obvious at first. Julia shares with us some of the early signs to look for and how parents can re-inspire their children on their journey of education and help them head towards their dreams. So here's my conversation with Julia. So Julia, you've coined a phrase, lights on, when you're talking about children and how they learn. Tell me about that. Yeah, so lights on is really kind of describing that you see it in a child's eyes when they're engaged, when they are motivated intrinsically, when they are focused and essentially when they're loving what they're learning. And the concept really came from that, me trying to find a way that would um, allow us as a team, when I had my creative learning center, to really know when we were getting it right, when the child was fully engaged, switched on um, and owning their learning. And then I began to kind of look and analyze like what were the circumstances what were the situations that kind of fostered children going from very bored and disengaged with their lights off or dim into a scenario where they were absolutely lights on and, and flourishing because of the learner that they were now embracing inside of them. Are you talking about children who are in school who have just kind of lost their way and have disengaged? 
It's all children, really. So we work with children in school, out of school, some children who are even in flexi-schooling. When I sort of originally set up my creative learning centre, we started with children who were home educating, but then we began to get children coming to us after school. Then we began to get schools coming to us saying, could you work with this group of students? And it really varied. It's kind of, it varies in terms of children who yes, perhaps are not achieving how they can be achieving within the school environment or the home environment. But equally, those children who are actually really achieving, you know, high level sort of academically, but the parents or the schools are thinking, yeah, but there's more, you know, you're not putting the effort in, you're getting the grades, but playing it very safe. So the key factor for me is putting the mental well-being of the child right at the forefront of the educational strategy wherever they're educated. And where do you think it's gone wrong for the children? I mean I'm sure there are lots of answers to that question but what sort of things are you looking for? So really um, a disconnection to learning and that is across the board so having worked now with thousands of children it's that thing of that they've just started to see their education as something that's done to them something that they have no interest in, something that they can't really see the point of. So I definitely talk about it as that disconnection. They're bored by it, possibly. They might be just going through the motions or they might absolutely be unable to access it. And so once that disconnection happens, which actually it can happen really, really quickly, as soon as obviously boredom sets in, then you know there's a whole load of anxiety and mental ill health that can kind of come along with that. And it happens surprisingly quickly. But on the flip side of that, which is really exciting, is that actually we can get children reconnected to learning also really quickly. And this is where I guess I'm excited about what this means for the future of education. If we know that that child, when they've become bored, disengaged, when maybe they're playing up in school or at home, when they're refusing to do anything, when they can't access it, that is going to cause that disconnection. But equally at the high achieving level as well, if they are doing it, just look, are they, are they taking risks um, and everything as well? Because you can be disconnected and still getting the grades. So that's a really important point to kind of sort of explore really. That's an interesting point because as you're speaking, I can relate to the child in the corner who's just very quiet and has disconnected. I can relate to the child who's disrupting the whole class and they're bored and irritated. But the child that's sort of getting it right, as you say, and getting all of the grades, I would be slower to diagnose that disconnection. What would you be looking for there? So what I'd be looking for, and and these are always, from my point of view and the work that I do, the harder, harder students to work with because they think they're okay. So from a teacher's perspective, they'd probably be your model students. Yeah, they would be sitting there quietly. They'd be doing everything you ask of them. They would be polite. They might still be quite quiet, but they're delivering everything. So from a teacher's perspective, it's often also quite difficult to sort of see, especially if you haven't got anything in the culture of your school that is pushing the boundaries for children to sort of make mistakes, have challenges built in. From a parent's perspective, you're probably hearing from the teachers at the parents' evening, oh, they're great, they're a joy to have in the class, they are absolutely where they should be or beyond where they need to be, you've got no worries at all. But you as a parent are probably sort of thinking, hmm, but they don't really seem fired up. Yes, they're going through the motions, yes, they can do it but they possibly have stopped taking risks and doing anything that might involve failure a long time ago. 
So it's quite a difficult group of students to kind of identify if you don't know what you're looking for, because the academic success appears to sort of be there. And that's why I think it's really important, especially now, to look beyond the grades. So I always talk to parents about what have your children got beyond the grades that really showcase what are they capable of? Because every child, whether they're achieving academically or not, has something that they can be absolutely phenomenal at. Um, and that's the heart of Lights On. It's just like, find that thing that switches on their lights and then we can get them to go deep with their learning. And it just transforms how they show up. And I really want to dig into that. But first of all, just open up for me a little bit the concept of them not taking risks. What sort of a risk would you want to see your child taking educationally? Yeah, so um, there's a, a term now that's been coined the fragile perfect, which is kind of coming out from the sort of the real world of work, which is where, you know, these A graders, these high achievers in the workplace are very, very fragile. They have no, they have very low emotional resilience. So what you want to be sort of building in to your child's learning diet, if you want to look at it like that in school or out of school, is just like, how do they cope when perhaps it isn't an A grade all the time. If I was working with children who are high achievers, they might be able to deliver me like a really high piece of writing. I will want to be able to critique that, you know, using draft critique in the way we use it and expect them to do another draft, possibly another two or three drafts. And what we found working with high achievers is they do not like that. They very rarely have been asked to go beyond the first draft because their first draft is a high level. So it's really about looking at the effort that any student is putting in. But what we have seen is that there's children who are struggling academically. When we can get them learning through their switch, through their passion, so passionate learning, they will have the resilience more so than the high achievers. So taking risks, building in challenge, maybe yeah raising your expectation not in a kind of a pushy mum kind of way or pushy parent kind of way but just raising the expectation of like well if you can do this you know then imagine what you could do if we could just sort of raise the bar a little bit so tell me how you switch those lights back on so how we switch the lights back on, and again, it's really exciting how quickly that we can do this, is that we look for that thing that they want to get up every morning to explore. So the first thing we would do with a child that we're working with or parents that we now coach is just ask that question. Some of the children that we'd worked with, they've just never been asked. Like, well, if you could be in the driving seat of your learning, what would you like to learn about? So we're looking at where their understanding of learning is. Like if we, we also just even ask the simple question, you know, what do you think learning is? And again, this will really help you gauge a, as a parent where your child is, because if your children just get angry at that question, um, some of them will even refuse to answer that question because they have seen it as something that absolutely is something that they avoid. And then on the flip side of that, you've got, again, back to the fragile perfects, they will see it as things like they'll probably say, well, it's English or it's maths or it's getting your spellings right or something like that. So just those two simple things, understand how they view learning, because that's going to be crucial because you can't get a child to learn they have to learn for themselves. So that's our starting point. Wherever a child is in terms of academic success, it's like, how connected are they as a learner? What do they understand learning is? And we frame that in the whole bigger sense of it's about making mistakes. On a level of the neuron, learning is about building neural networks that are not yet built. And that can only come from stepping outside your comfort zone and doing something that you don't know how to do. 
So, and then, yeah, what is it you would love to do? And, and sometimes this is really obvious for a child, like they will know. I remember working with a 16 year old girl who um, was really kicking out at school. This was when we had a center based on a school site and the head teacher said, look, can you, you know, can you have her in, in the center? We don't know where to go with her. And we just asked that question and she said, I want to be a fashion designer. I've always wanted to be a fashion designer. And she was 16 and she had never had anyone take her seriously. She had never had the opportunity to explore it. And we just got her, you know, two hours a week sitting there pursuing that passion. And it totally changed everything for her because now she was able to sort of see that actually if she wanted to do this, she could take ownership of that. And actually nobody could take that away from her. So really simple kind of, start by asking, start by engaging in the conversation. And then if they don't know, we use a thing called the learning carousel, which is a simple tool. And we get parents setting this up in their homes or we've done it in the schools and we do it with children, you know, as young as four, all the way up to sort of teenagers. And it's really about kind of, I call it like, it's almost like a pick and mix sweet shop of learning. If you think of it like that, and you just put out these different stations so you might have your maker station your engineering station your writer station your digital wizardry station and things like that and you just let your child explore and you see where they land and that is so simple it's kind of like what you would use in an early years setting you know just the kids come in and they just go and explore what they want to do but that gives us so much information about what a child if they were given the choice how they would choose to learn and do you find that once you've defined what their passion is and you start working with them on that passion that although they might be building a sort of interest in this area that it does actually switch their lights back on for the stuff that we have to get through in life the maths and the english and so on yeah, absolutely. And I, I call it a switch. So at the beginning, our, our framework of light, lights on is like the first thing you want to do is locate the switch, right? So you want to find that switch that you can switch the lights back on, even when they go dim or off, because we can use dim and lights off to our advantage, um, which is really important to know. So once we've found that switch, um, let's just take um, the digital wizard, for example. So, you know, a child that if they were given choice, they just want to create through technology and creation versus consuming is also really important if you're trying to get children to learn through their passions so what i mean by that is that um, a lot of our education and again this is whether it's in school or at home can be very knowledge and consumption based right you're going to learn this you take it in you retain it and then you regurgitate it and what we do with Lights On, and this is what I believe the future of um, education is going to be like, is we want to know, okay, the knowledge is everywhere. You can get that really easily, but what can you do with that knowledge? So we want to see children creating original content. You know, what do they do when they can explore, maybe using filmmaking? Where's their level of understanding of narrative for example, what is their kind of, um, how are they looking at the world through how they frame and capture the footage? How much are they able to problem solve and think critically using their technology without asking for help? What is their, even their visual literacy in terms of what works between two different shots or what doesn't work? And all of this, once you get children making very tangible learning, 
it does so many things. Not only does it give you as the educator in the mix, whether that's a parent or a teacher, it gives you the possibility of seeing where they are at a particular point in time. But also what it gives that child is they have something to be proud of. And that is the turning point to take a child whose lights are dim or off to get them to create something that they are really proud of. And once we can get that child to that point, then we can start saying, right, you know, those exams, you know, those things that you have to sit um, at the moment to do to just jump through some hoops in our educational system. They are just hurdles. And you can actually use that to your advantage to grow the muscle and mindset and the resilience that you're going to need to be able to put what you're really good at into practice as you just journey through life. So when you can reframe the hurdles in our educational system as a, yeah, they're a mindset practice. They are the gold standard at the moment for what you've got to try and reach. Then we have seen again, children who were, you know, failing academically suddenly get the best reports they've ever got. But more importantly, suddenly understand the why, understand that why behind the grades. And I think that's the bit, a bit of the puzzle that we're missing. And we can all remember asking our parents that question, can't we? You know, why do we have to do maths? Of what use is this subject going to be to me when I'm doing such and such? So the why, and how do you get to the why with a child? Uh, we just build it into all learning. I think one of the biggest sort of mistakes that we're all making is that we, we come at learning from, right, we've got to learn the maths, right? And actually, if you can come at it through a different lens, which is maths is really beautiful. Maths is highly creative. It's everywhere. It's, you know, we have as human beings kind of tried to understand it to make sense of our world. So if you come at it through a different lens, then if you come at it through um, projects, so that's the other thing that I really like to encourage um, parents and schools that we work with to, to learn through projects, creating tangible evidence, then you're kind of exploring the maths and then trying to solve the problem like measurement or fractions or using decimals or whatever it is, or ratios or perspective, it suddenly is that sort of it's just in time learning rather than just in case learning. So we're going to learn this math just in case you might need it at one point in your life. We switch that around and go, actually, we're going to learn this math because you need it right now to solve the problem that you're working on. And that simple shift from just in case learning to just in time learning, again, really kind of leads with the why. Why do you need to learn this now? Because to get to the next level of your project, to get to the next level of your learning, you need to understand this little bit of the puzzle. And I can so relate to that. I have a child on the Asperger spectrum and he just didn't want to read. He didn't want to write. And I can remember one day just stopping and thinking, right, I've got to hold my nerve here, not look at what the rest of the world is doing. And we're just going to put reading off till he's seven, which was a massive leap. I was home educating at the time and you know, people were looking at home educators and thinking, you know, are you a little odd? Are you going to get your children to where they need to be? So it was a great big leap of courage for me. But interestingly, once we focused in on the things that he was good at and put those things back in his life, actually he was happy to go through the hoops, but he did it because it just needed to be done in order to make way for the things in his life he was excited about. But you're right, if I look back, I would say his lights switched back on. So tell me about these projects. That's a word that comes up when we chat. Um, what projects are you speaking about? 
Yeah, so when you start making learning tangible, when you look beyond the grades to maybe have like the learning currency being portfolios, so showcasing, right, what a child is capable of doing over that 14 or first 18 years of their life, which we dedicate to learning, right? When you start to kind of look for that tangible evidence, you want to be moving from a common mistake of, of kind of just doing creative activities. So, you know, we'll do art over here. Um, maybe we'll do some cooking or some, you know, building of something over here. And, and everything is kind of separate. If you can start to kind of get learning through projects, passion-led, purpose-driven projects that have a real strong why, that have a brief at the start, then what you'll start to see is that the child or the group of children will be building their learning at a much deeper level. It's putting like the parameters up. So not to structure it like, uh, say, let's again, just look at the mass curriculum, which will say this is the specification that you have to learn. It's not like that. It's more like um, I'll take a project that we did around mass, which was to explore the hexagon. Right. We explored the hexagon with children who are age four up to 11 for about three months. And it was really kind of giving that brief of your brief is to make a film on at least six properties of the hexagon that make it an amazing shape, for example. Yeah. So now you can see with that brief, children working together, maybe you've got the digital wizard who's got the filmmaking switch, right? You might have the artist in the mix who, you know, is her, their first point of call is going to be to the maker station where they're going to draw the hexagon. They're going to be exploring the hexagon. They're going to look at sort of tessellation and the shapes that they can create with it. You might even have like the storyteller in the mix that is going to kind of craft a narrative to work with the filmmaker, to work with the artist, to make a film that, you know, has a narrative exploring a hexagonal, I don't know, landscape or something. And so the project is almost like the, the sort of the structure that creativity needs to thrive. So open-ended, but equally with a deliverable, a tangible outcome that everybody is working towards. So it's like, kind of like you're, you're here at point A, you know, we give you a brief that's going to get you ending up at point B. How you get there is totally up to you so that they've got that ownership and you can go linear, you can go, you know, zigzags, you can go up and down, you can go backwards and forwards, but, but you know where you're trying to head. And projects, yeah, that they are just, for me, again, they're the future of learning because they allow you to go deep. They allow children to go deep with their learning. So you gathering groups of children to do this, or you gathering parents to explain how they can do this with their children? How does it work? Both, really. Um, so I closed down my centres um, when I realised that the problem of children disconnected from learning was actually really massive when we were based on the secondary school site. And I felt that I needed to get online to reach the parents because the parents, in my view, are the people that can really see the true learner. You know, the teachers might see the high achieving student that sits there, you know, and, and does it, or they will see the child that's disrupting. The parent in both of those cases will see the potential genius, that natural born talent. They will also know that um, nobody sees my child like I see them. How are we going to get them to be authentic and bring that brilliance out? So we went online, started working with parents, We've been running our online academy now, Lights On Academy, for about two, maybe three years we're coming up to. And now what's really exciting because of how 
deep these parents have been learning to take their children to have these incredible portfolios and to introduce the culture of lights on into the home. We're now cross-fertilizing between families. And so we're now getting families collaborating together, parents and children in the mix, but the parents are facilitating the projects. So I'm kind of coaching the parents to facilitate the projects between families. And it's really exciting. We've got a video game project going on at the moment that's being led by one of our mums. Um, and there's about, I think, probably five or six families involved. And the children are all, you know, coming in with their ideas, um, artists, music makers, you know, strategists, coders. And so it's actually a really, it's kind of whole family transformation is where I'm going at. Because what I saw when we were working with schools and teachers is that if a child is disconnected from learning, it's really hard for a teacher to get that child to be able to go to where they really can go. So I think parents have really got an important role, especially now, um, a really important role to play in helping that child reconnect and empower themselves and empower the teacher to be able to take their learning to, to a much higher level. I often think of it as trying to get through beyond the parent to get to the children because the children get this and they get it really quickly. It's almost the adults in the mix that take the longer time to understand, you know, how learning really can be um, in the 21st century. And so would you say that's very time consuming for a parent? If you've got a parent listening to this and they work and they've got a disconnected child whose lights have gone out, are they thinking, gosh, how many hours am I going to have to put into this in order to get my child's lights back on? What would you say to them? Yeah, this is where it's exciting again, because um, really with as little as uh, two hours a week, we were able to get children very disengaged, switched on within that first two hour session. Okay, so the tools are highly effective, really easy that they, you know, any parent is thinking, oh, but I wouldn't be able to do it. Absolutely, you can. But the whole aim of really what we do is to get that child to own the learning so that you as the parent or even you as the teacher are not doing the heavy lifting. Because as soon as we make that unbalance where the teacher is working harder or the parent is working harder for that child to learn, we've got it wrong. And so really this is all about, you might have to put a little bit of time in at, at sort of front load it, if you like, to get that culture in your home to help your child realize that you are going to look at this differently, that you're not gonna get them sitting down saying you have to do your English and you have to do your maths like this, but that you're gonna be very honest about reframing how learning for them is going to look going forward so that they can access the English and the maths and the science that they might have to do or they might choose to do more importantly in a different way. So yeah, it's actually, once you get that culture and once your children trust you as a parent, that you are not just trying something else and you're not going to give up on them when they resist, because they probably will resist if they're disconnected, because it's, you know, looks like hard work, right? And they maybe feel the expectation of you as a parent, because you're, you know, that that's what we unpick with parents. It's this heavy expectation of, why can't my child just learn like any other child? Why can't my child just be the one that sits quietly in the school? And actually what I always say to parents is, I'm always more confident working with a child that is kicking out against it not working for them than the ones who are sitting there and complying and conforming. So as long as you are prepared to just know that this is a cultural shift, actually you can be doing your work at home 
your child can be learning through the projects and you can just learn how to facilitate and not teach yeah and coach and not manage um, and that's the beautiful sort of rhythm that that when we could get that right in a family's home everything changes and it's a courageous shift isn't it moving away from the sort of heavy load as you say of holding and owning their education and pushing and i bet a lot of parents out there especially through this recent home ed of covid are thinking gosh yes it's exhausting trying to get my child to work not everybody but some people to moving across to actually i am inspiring my child to own their own education that's that's quite a sort of scary move across isn't it because you've got to let go of some of your concepts haven't you and that's true of the children that you work with isn't it that once you move away from the grades being the goal and the actual enjoyment of learning being the goal the grades do come along as a byproduct it's not as though you're saying goodbye to the reality of hoping that they'll achieve well in their lives so tell me where they access this parents what's the system and format so we have an online academy where we coach the parents and then as I say we're, we're building those connections also with the children in there. We open four times a year for that so that we can get out there and, and meet new parents, find them wherever they are in the world who want to kind of join us and then focus our attention on, on, on making sure that they bring that cultural shift into their homes. But also what we've done since schools closed and I think we're probably actually going to continue it even when schools reopen and it's been really exciting is we've opened up a virtual creative learning space where we do what we call jams. So our jams are kind of like a sprint to see if lights on works for your family. And they're just three days. We do them every week, Tuesday to Thursday, and a parent can come in and we help them use some of the tools, some of our most effective tools around passion, mindset, and then time so that they can almost gauge where their child is or more importantly, sometimes gauge where they are as a parent. Because the big revelation for many parents is like, oh, this is my mindset. This is my fear. And actually, when we can help them realize that, then they can sort of begin to step back so their child can step forward. So, yeah, online. And then I do a lot of free training. I have a free video series, which you can kind of access via my Facebook page at The Lights On Mum. But really, I would say for any parent that wants to future-proof their children, which is really what we're doing beyond the grades, they want to see them, you know, tapping into those three keys, passion, mindset, and time. They want to see their child owning their learning so that those hurdles, that they see them and they aim to jump as high as they can um, because they have seen the why behind it. Then, yeah, just um, come in and start talking with us have that conversation and let us know what obstacle it is that you face right now. And so if a parent hasn't got the three days to do the jam, there are many things on your Facebook that they can access and get an understanding and start walking forward. Is there another yeah, way apart absolutely. from a, a three-day course once they've gleaned it and understood that they'd like to progress? For the working mum, is there a shorter access point? Um, as a result of the academy, when we opened up and as a result of the jam, what we've done now is we've done some sort of bite-sized mini programs like Fast Track Your Child to Passion-Led Learning, Hardwire Your Child for Success. And those are taking, again, sort of the thinking, you know, and some of the tools that we use in our academy so that a parent can access them in their own time, really understand that cultural shift that is needed because it will be needed in most homes and be able to start to implement things in their own schedule. 
So you've got Jam, you've got webinars that they can access and you've got the groups where you're intercollaborating, yeah? So we also have a high level group coaching program where I do the neuro coaching, where once the parents have acknowledged, ah, this is actually about my mindset. This is about actually about me not being able to have the conversations I need to have with my child. You know, I can't face the resistance the child is putting up. I always just back down. When they've realized that they need to lead the transformation in their family by sort of you know, going in and rewiring their own limiting beliefs into empowering beliefs. So we also do that. We've got a group just starting today, actually, a phenomenal group of mums who are, um, yeah, just ready to take their own learning to the next level. And will they meet once a week? And for how long? What does that actually look like practically? Yeah, so with the neuro coaching, I meet them once a week. And then I've got my coach, Corinne Williams, who will meet them once a week. So they have two calls with us in a group setting like this, you know, a Zoom meeting. And then they've got a training portal. So all our programs have a training, online training portal, where their sort of micro learning content has been broken down and giving the framework of what Lights On is. With the neuro coaching, giving the framework of the model that we use to get away from those automatic negative thoughts that are holding them back in life. So you get the online portal, you get a free private Facebook group, and you get time with us coaching you through what your obstacles are. And what period of time will this take them over? This new group that you've got starting today, weeks or months? Yeah, so the neuro coaching is eight weeks, an eight week program. Um, the academy, that's a year's program. And then the, the mini programs are do it in your own time. So I'm wanting to provide something that is exactly that. Like you say, the busy mum who, the busy family, because it's not just mums, you know, the busy parents that are working, but know that they need to bring something else into the mix. You know, equally, you know, the, the mum who is there going, no, I'm taking time out from what I'm doing to absolutely, you know, solve this problem. So the whole range really. And then ultimately as well, really excited about, we're starting to get educators come in the mix so, you know, the big vision is obviously to have that license for schools so that we can have lights on schools where we're able to create this really simple metric. How many of our students are learning with their lights on? And that drives everything. Brilliant. Now, you mentioned a couple of times portfolios, and I'm quite intrigued by this. The working world is changing its approach to interviewing, isn't it? And how they find their candidates. And it's not just going to be the straight A's, is it, that's going to get them into some of these progressive companies. Talk to me about how the portfolio is going to make a difference. Yeah, I think this is where it's exciting. And again, this is something I think we're going to see more of coming out of, of lockdown um, and as a result of COVID-19 is that is that really um, employers now are increasingly going what they call blind on grades. Um, and so that will mean that they are no longer realizing that the, the grades or possibly even where the children have been educated are a reliable indicator of whether they will be a good person for their team. Okay, and that comes back to the whole fragile perfect thing. If you have gone through your educational career as a top student, possibly you have not got a huge amount of emotional resilience. You might well have been pushing through with sheer kind of, you know, determination, but doesn't necessarily mean the emotional resilience is there. So what the portfolio does is it allows, I, I love it because it kind of, totally um, equalizes really the playing field because you can't necessarily buy privilege that will show in a, a portfolio because you would also be able to see a mile off um, you know a portfolio that was privilege bought right 
And actually, we're, we're, we're just doing some new training around portfolios because we've got a particular take on what we want to see in them. And we are looking for that um, passion over time that has been explored, that where that child has had to push through their mindset, their own glass ceiling in order to keep going with that passion. So a portfolio that is really going to do the job in terms of, you know, landing on a potential employer's desk and then just sitting back and going, wow, we need to interview this person is one that is going to be able to show that growth over time, not just the outcomes. So what I love about the portfolio and the, and the potential for it to disrupt how education is done in school and at homes is that it's all about showcasing that process. And so if you had a portfolio, for example, let's just take a film because that's something that you can relate to with, with your son and, and my son is also is a, a young filmmaker. If you had a portfolio of two filmmakers and the starting point for one of them, right, was their understanding of narrative. So from a communications point of view was not as strong, but then the final outcome showed growth and it showed drafts that they had worked through that they had done the film, they'd got critique, they'd done the next draft, they'd got more critique, and maybe even they'd gone up to sort of four or five drafts. That to me would be much more powerful from a point of view of understanding the growth potential of that learner and potential employee than someone who has just come in with a, a film that's wow. Does that make sense? So it's the process and it's the distance journeyed when you start putting your portfolio together. Yes, it does make enormous sense. And I suppose there'll be employers who will be looking at portfolios that people have developed through university or college and university even. But you're talking about going right back to primary years, aren't you, and showcasing a portfolio of passion. Is that what you're building up with your students? Yeah, absolutely. Because I believe that we're all born with a natural born talent. We've come into this world with a gift to explore everybody. I, that is, And I've seen that to be true when we can find that switch and we can find that thing. And so what we want to be looking at, the third key, really time, passion, mindset and time is imagine, imagine if we gave our children 14 years to explore that thing that they absolutely love to do, they were born to do. And we were able to see the development of their skills, their knowledge base, their mindset growth and the outcome. And what the portfolio does is it, if you focus again on the four C's, collaboration, communication, creativity and critical thinking, then those are all the skills you want as an employer, right? You want to know, can this person who can create this incredible film, are they a team player? Can this person who has built this incredible structure or done this incredible architectural drawing, can they take critique? Are they going to be able to set their feedback when the client comes back and it's not what they want at all? And when you can build those skills that I believe are very innate in our children, right? We come out wanting to explore. We come out so sort of raw and ready to learn because it's so natural to us. Yeah. And if we can keep that alight, through something that they love to do, then imagine that story and unfolding narrative and where it has taken them from, you know, the filmmaker at age seven to the filmmaker age 13 to now potentially the filmmaker age 20. That is what's going to really stand the 21st century learner apart from the old school learners. They've got the grades, sure. But have they got something that they have committed to learning 
at a deep level. Because it's easy to say in an interview, oh, I've wanted to dance since I was five. I've wanted to be a filmmaker since I was 11. Do you think that employer is going to give this um, 20-year-old, as you say, in front of them an opportunity to showcase that I've been interested since then? Do you think they're going to have the, the time and presence to look through a portfolio that goes back that many years? Yeah, and, and we did a, an incredible interview with a young 20-year-old, Elias, who got a an apprenticeship at Warwick University based on, well, one of the things based on his portfolio. And what the portfolio gave him, and he says it really nicely, but what it gives a person is the confidence to sort of say, look, I'm sure everybody you're interviewing has done ballet classes, right? Extra curriculum, or lots of children, right? have had their YouTube channels, okay? I want to show you how I have taken filmmaking and the level it has taken me. So the portfolio, when you use it as a reflective tool and a learning tool, right, it's not just that showcase of evidence. It really is that story to kind of, you know, let me, let me show you this film when I was 11, right? And I've got an example of a family I'm working with at the moment, Emma and James. He's 11 years old. He's got three kind of passion threads that are emerging and they're all really high level. And I've given him a very real world brief to deliver me a film that I knew would bring those three threads together. So his skateboarding, he's making skate, um, fingerboard skate parks, he's doing fake wounds and he's filmmaking. So I gave him the brief to make a film that would have him skateboarding on his own finger skateboard. So he would have to use you know, special effects editing software to shrink himself down onto his own skate park and he has a fall and he has to use his own fake wounds to show the result of the film. He's delivered an incredible, it's 30 seconds, incredible clip, but that in itself is like, yeah, it's an amazing outcome, right? But the story that I hope he will tell when he's, you know, there at the interview is this was the project that showed me age 11, that when you want to quit, you have always got more in you. And you've got to learn to deal with that frustration that it's not going to plan, that you can't see a way around it. And you have to learn the strategy that allows you to take a bit of time out and then come back to it with a fresh problem solving head on. And he's just 11. And, and it's, it's so exciting to see a family working in that way, knowing that he will be able to walk in and tell that story. And that is going to set him head or heels above the child who went to filmmaking classes after school. And it's so progressive, isn't it? Because you're combating that fear of failure. I mean, I, I know this family. I've lent him my green screen for the project, actually. Oh, it was, it was yours. Excellent. Yeah. And it was them that said, oh, you have to meet Julia. You know, you'd be really interested to see her on the podcast. And I think one of the things that I love about watching James emerge is that He's prepared to look at his stuff and go, that was good, but I'm going to grow in that area rather than, ah, this isn't everything I wanted it to be. There's a real progression in his in his narrative. But I'm just going to go back slightly to those employers who are employing blind, because like every parent, you know, you're looking at what your children are doing and you're looking at where it's going to take them in the long run. And we talk about employers employing blind. You've got sort of Virgin and some of the Silicon Valley employers how are they narrowing down the CVs in the first place if they're not going to look at grades? How do we even get in front of those people to start with? Well, that's the conversation that we're about to pick up with recruiters to get inside the head of the person who is leading the way in the employing market. 
And interestingly, it is a more progressive approach, but I do think it's becoming more widespread. And I have a friend whose son is just going through the interview process. And actually, he didn't thrive at school. He's a bright guy. He's really interested. He's started businesses. He's been progressive with them and exhibited all the things that you're talking about that he can showcase in an interview but he hasn't got the grades. Yet he's on round nine of the graduate scheme at Lidl. Now we think of Lidl and Aldi as the cheap supermarkets, but but actually it's a really hot ticket on the graduate intern scheme because they do a very, very good internship. And I'm fascinated to see that actually this is true. Progressive employers are looking for something beyond the grades. Now, I'm not suggesting that grades aren't important, but it really underlines what you're saying about bringing your whole self bringing your portfolio, bringing your proof of experience and journey, not just showing your results. Yeah, and what I love about that is I know exactly what those employers will be seeing and that's what employers want. What can you do? Julia, I have found that absolutely fascinating. I should think parents will be listening to that with many different hats on and thinking about many different things. I could I could go on all day. I want to ask you all about your background and your TV documentaries and so on. But one thing I do love to ask people that I interview on my podcast, which is called The Courageous Mama, what's a really courageous thing that you've done in your life? Well, I think the most courageous thing I've done is closing down the physical centers of my business and pivoting to go online. And it really came at a point when my lights went off and it would have been so easy for me to have just said, well, that didn't work. And I spent about four days in that lights off zone, just crying, really feeling and experiencing the huge failure that it wasn't gonna work. So if I close my business now, what am I gonna do? And it was that realization that it's just like, no, the business is staying open. I'm just gonna have to relearn a whole new model. And as a result of that, then I had to face a whole new set of fears. So really sticking with my business has probably been the most courageous thing. The easy thing would have been to have just quit. I love that. That's a fantastic answer because I know that some people can bungee jump off the edge of cliffs, but facing your fears takes courage. And are you glad of that now that we've hit COVID and everything's gone online? Are you glad that you were, you know, ahead of the curve? Yeah, I think it's like one of those things, you know, suddenly everything makes sense. We've been doing learning in this way for a long time, but now parents get it. And I think that's the big shift. But equally, what I'm really excited about now is education can finally evolve because also schools and teachers will have seen actually we can talk with parents more than we're doing and parents can also see what teachers are up against. So I'm really hopeful that out of this crisis and this sort of world shifting on its axis, we will begin to see education evolve in a much more healthy way for everybody involved, parents, children and teachers. Wasn't that just so inspiring? Did you find yourself thinking about your child or or the children of people that you know? I know for me, I've had so many different thoughts and applications since I've had that conversation, not just for myself, but reviewing my children and their education and also the children of parents who come to see me and I sit across from. There is so much in there that makes sense. And I've already chatted with my youngest about beginning a portfolio because there are so many things that he's excited about. Thanks for joining us today. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It really helps me. And if you're enjoying it, share it with a friend. 
I love hearing from you and I'm easy to find. You can email me at madelinestanny at icloud.com or you can find me on Instagram at The Courageous Mama. See you next week.